Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, wow. Thanks for being with us this morning. Thank you that we are in you and you are in us. And that we're together in that, as a family, as a community. You have things you want to say to us. You have things that you want to help us to see, help us to hear. Most importantly, you have things that you want us to experience and know deep in our bones. May that become a reality this morning. May we see ourselves in new light, in the light of your eyes, your love, your life. Help me and my lovely wife to communicate clearly. Help her not to hate me for doing this. That was, I guess, more to her than to God. Um, <laughs> Jesus thinks that you're up to great things in our midst. And we're just here to, to turn our ear to what you have to say. Nothing else will do, and not much else matters. So here we are. Amen. So by now, okay, that's not true. Uh, I'm sure that as of the first day that you met me and Sarah, you realized that she's the smarter of the two of us, and the better looking, and the wiser, and a little bit older. And so I thought, <laughs> so I thought if, if we're going to do anything of substance, she probably needs to be a part of it. I was processing last night what I feel like God's been putting on my heart, and I would put something out to her, and she's like, oh yeah, and, and that means this, and what about this, and that means this, and I was like, you're just going to teach with me tomorrow. Yeah, I told her that part this morning. <laughs> Any of you mad at me besides her? No, I didn't think so. Open up with me. Remember Bibles? Look what I got. I've had this for a while. I'm just embarrassed of the kind of shantiness of it, of the, the cover. But if you have a Bible, will you open up with me to Psalm chapter 8? Psalms are in the middle of the Bible, or they're kind of in the middle of your app. You have to scroll quite a bit through. But Psalm 8 Let's open up there, and you might find these words familiar. Beth didn't know that I was going to use this passage, and I didn't know she was going to sing that song, but look at this. Everybody there? Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths, what an appropriate passage, of babes and infants, Nathan Christopher, you have established strength because of your foes to still or silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man and woman that you are mindful of us? The Son of Man that you care for us. 
Anybody ever feel like that? Seriously, God, all that and you pay attention to me? Why? But then the psalmist here, he catches on to something. He says, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I was driving up from San Bernardino last night. I was that smart guy that agrees to go down and do training with the church in San Bernardino the Friday of Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, welcome to California, bud. So I ended up having to leave for a 6.30 session, 6.30 p.m. I ended up leaving around 9.30 in the morning. And yeah, I made it, but it was not enjoyable. <laughs> the seminar was enjoyable, but the drive was not. But coming back up the coast yesterday, I realized all these pylons on the side, just what, north of Goleta? You know what I'm talking about, right? You know why all those pylons were there. How are us humans doing at stewarding this lovely world God has given us? When you spill how many thousands of gallons of oil into your beaches, it's like, God, what are we that you would trust us with this? Are you crazy? But I've realized something over the last 16, 15, 16 years of, of walking with Jesus. I've realized that in the church generally, and I don't find this to be true here, but I wanted to just share some pieces of this with you and obviously invite my wife to be a part of that. I've realized that in the church we have an identity problem in that I think we have a very low view of humanity. I don't think we understand the reality, the beauty, the glory, can I say glory, of human beings. And I think that some of us in this room experience that as well, and there are multiple reasons for that. Many of them not our fault. I was originally going to title this message, You Have No Idea Who You Are. And I still stand by that. It's true for me. I have no idea who I am. If I really knew what God thought of me, how God feels about me, what God has done for me, and the value that that expresses towards me, yeah, life would be a little different for me, wouldn't it? Anyone else feel the same way? I have no idea who I am. So, to talk about that this morning, I wanted to take a few minutes and share with you some things I'm learning about bonsai trees. 
Makes sense, right? Natural progression. I want to talk for a few minutes about bonsai trees. Anybody have one? Anybody ever had one? Okay. I realized last night, I thought it would be really cool to actually have one here instead of just have some stock photo of one. But I was kind of occupied over the last week, so I didn't have a chance to go to the store and get a bonsai tree. And you know what I realized? If I would have gone to the store and asked for a bonsai tree seed, for those of you that have had one, what would they have said to me? There's no such thing. Did you know that? So can you imagine me getting up here and sharing a message about bonsai trees, and you guys are like, Chris, they don't exist. I'm like, oh, do your homework, pastor. There's no such thing as bonsai trees. You can't go buy a bonsai seed. That would have been nice and embarrassing, huh? So what is the deal with a bonsai tree? Those of you that have had one, you know that the reason, the thing that makes a bonsai a bonsai is the fact that it's put in a pot. And what happens when it's put in that pot? A lot of things, but one of the things that happens is it keeps it small. Let me show you a picture. So this is a picture of a bonsai tree. Would you like to see a picture of another bonsai tree? That's a bonsai tree. And that's a real life human in that photo. How tall do you think that thing is? It's like what? 35, how many feet you think? 30, 40 feet? <laughs> you know what's crazy? Every bonsai tree seed that's planted, every seed that's planted has the potential to get this big or bigger. But like I mentioned, the thing that keeps it small is the pot that it's put in. And the reason it stays small is because its roots are constrained and constricted so they can't grow any bigger. Because they don't grow any bigger, the tree will, I guess, halt its growth at a certain point. Interesting, huh? Does that have anything to do with us? So what you do for the, and I should have invited some of our bonsaiers to, to share about this, but my limited understanding is that if you want a bonsai tree to grow, you have to remove it from its pot. You have to do some things to the roots. You have to do some pruning. By the way, the biblical word that we often translate in English as punishment, it appears two times. That word punishment comes from a Greek word, and the root word is to prune. You know, 1 John 4, I think it's like 18, 19, 20, perfect love casts out fear. And it talks about for where perfect love is, there's no fear of punishment. You could also translate that word pruning. There's no fear of pruning. So you have to take this little plant that you've been tending, cultivating, nurturing, you 
You take it out, you have to do some things to the, the roots of it. And let me ask you this. How do you think that plant feels? So the pot, what does the pot symbolize for it? Symbolizes comfort, probably, right? You think it's comfortable in there? Security? What else does it symbolize? So comfort, security, identity. It's the pot that makes it a bonsai. Without the pot, it's not a bonsai. So comfort, security, identity. What else? Boundaries. Hmm. Now, how do you think this plant, if it could feel, what would it be feeling as you remove it from its pot? Ah! <laughs> if a tree could scream, if a tree screams in the forest, is anybody, and nobody's there to hear it, does it still scream? I think so. I would imagine that for this little plant, that that moment that you move it from one pot to the next probably feels like an eternity, doesn't it? All of its boundaries are gone. All of its structure, its identity is gone for that moment. But if it's not moved, then what cannot happen? Growth. It cannot move into the next stage of its identity. We often think of identity as a static thing, don't we? Like, I'm trying to discover my identity as if that's like a one-time thing. Like, once we get there, once we get to this point and we discover our identity, then we can actually be content and just live out of that forever. But identity isn't a static thing, is it? Identity is a dynamic process, an unfolding and unfurling of all the things that God continually puts inside of us. So if this tree would not go through that, ah, moment, it would be missing out on the next stage of its identity and development. You chime in whenever. You had so many good things to say last night. You're good. You said something last night about, what did you say about God having the next pot ready, but we don't see it? Talk about that for a minute. Well. <laughs> she loves to be put on the spot. Yeah, whatever you think. Um, I think you're doing great. Well, I think you'll do greater. <laughs> um, well, I was just thinking about that sometimes, like as far as the roots when he was talking about that and how when your roots are exposed, it can be that, just that feeling of being so exposed and how so often like that's actually what we need to go into the next stage of growth is to let ourselves be exposed but that can be so scary that could be where like shame could maybe creep in because you're like ooh, that root actually might need to be cut and like people might actually have to see that in order for me to you know for it to be cut or those different things or can I even trust the fact that like like I don't feel like if I was going to repot I have one plant in my house which is probably why we wouldn't get a bonsai tree if there was one, because I'd kill it. But anyways, the we one little plant. We could kill a cactus. <laughs> we totally could kill a cactus. But like, I'm actually like loving on my plant and doing good. And, um, and I was like, there's no way that I would like take it out of its pot if I hadn't have already gone to the store and bought another pot and had it like all ready and all there. But I think sometimes we don't even give God that benefit of the doubt to realize like he's not just going to like rip us out and be like, hey, why don't you hang here for a year and then I'll just shake you off and show everyone and do whatever. But the reality is he's already like has the other pot prepared 
for us with fresh soil and good soil. And it still might be a little uncomfortable and we might not like it or it will be new and we have to grow into it. But that was just, um, you know, what I was thinking about, just that, yeah, just that trusting that if I would do that for my little plant, what would God do for us? How many of you feel like you have been through a repotting season over the last maybe year or so? Raise your hand. Frightening, isn't it? Because what does the pot represent to us? The pot represents to us, well, let's think about the things that actually inhibit our growth sometimes. What are the things that God needs to remove us from often in order to move us into the next thing? Sometimes it has to be a geographical thing, doesn't it? Any of you find profound benefit out of actually being transplanted? Pun semi-intended. Actually, it wasn't intended, but um, being transplanted from one geographical place to the next you actually found that there was something different that could happen inside of you, didn't you? And it was painful, wasn't it? But did you discover new layers of your identity by having to leave those things behind? So sometimes it represents the familiar in terms of geographical surroundings or even relational surroundings. Sometimes the pot represents lies that we've believed about ourselves. If you ask the question, what causes our roots to stunt or their growth to be stunted, Sometimes it's just these lies or these wounds that we've experienced growing up that we have no idea who we are. And we hit, a, hit against these walls and we're like, oh, I'm not going to go past that. I can't go past that. And God says, let me take you out of there and let me cut this off and move you into something new. And honestly, one of the scariest ones that Sarah and I have experienced is sometimes the pot represents our understanding of God. And Christianity. And sometimes that pot cannot contain the growth that God wants to do in us. Sometimes the questions and the conflicts and the paradoxes that we encounter in seasons of life, those questions cannot be answered within our current pot. Any of you bump up against that over the last little while? That your current pot cannot contain and cannot answer the questions that you have about God and Christianity and faith and life in the world. And so God says, well, let's get rid of this. And you go, ah! Because there's what feels like an eternity where you don't, you feel like the rug has been yanked out from under you. And sometimes it is God that will come in and, you know, remove us from the pot Sometimes life just comes and shatters our pot to pieces. Any of you had that happen? It's not always God just kind of micromanaging or even, you know, in a loving, tender way, nurturing. Sometimes life just, just gets at the things that become our comfort, our security, our frame. Life just gets at that and starts to crack away at that, and we're left with no pot. And God says, well, hey, I'm working on something new. Be patient. But it's so hard. So I wanted to look at a passage real quick. Again, you intervene at any time. No, you said something last night about looking at other people's pots. Talk about that for a minute. Um, I should have just recorded it. Um. <laughs> Let me just play Sarah Fela's comments on my processing um, for you all. 
Well, I was just thinking about the reality too of when we have different pots and we're being repotted, how sometimes it's hard to understand why other people might be in a different pot and why like maybe their pot is bigger or maybe their pot is smaller or maybe their pot is the same size but it just looks different. But just kind of owning that reality that like, um, what was I saying? Yeah, just that we can't judge where people are at because we don't know their journey and we don't know their story because it's so easy just to look on the outside but you have no idea, you know, maybe they're ready to break through to the next one. Maybe they just need a safe place for a season to just sit and to rest. And so just offering that, that grace and that understanding because we had watched, well, he didn't watch. I watched this, um, of course, it was on Facebook. There was this video um, last week that I had seen that it was um, showing pictures. It was like a five-minute video of probably about like 30 or 40 different people all in a hospital situation. But what it had was like the little like tape of what was going on in everyone's um, situation. So you have like one person going up the escalator and it's like just got diagnosed with cancer. You have one person coming down and it's like just found out we're clear, you know. In an elevator, there's one person that's like, just found out, you know, it's going to be a dad. And then you have a woman next to him who's like, just got a divorce. And then the next one's like, wife is in trouble, and I don't know how we're going to pay these medical bills. You know what I mean? So just that kind of understanding of realizing, like, everyone has a pot and everyone has a story. And just keeping that in mind as we just go about our day and as we look at people and as we reach out to people and just taking a moment to pause and to remember that. Thanks, you. I have such a crush on you. Don't, okay. Um, but I, did you know that this idea, this is why there are different churches? Have you thought about that? How many of you at one point in your Christian walk just got really frustrated that different denominations exist? It's like, man, like, why can't we just be more unified? Why can't we just, why do there have to be like, what, 42,000 or whatever it is now? It's, it's ridiculous. It's insane. Why do there have to be so many different denominations? Guess what? You have a certain kind of conversation when you're in a certain kind of pot. You're in a different pot. You have a, certain, you have a different kind of conversation. And you are drawn here to Coastlands because there's a certain conversation that you are drawn to, that God has you in a specific season. And so that works on the micro, individual, but also on the corporate, this idea. I wanted to share a passage of Scripture that I think really really speaks to this, about our roots, and I want to share a couple final thoughts, and then we're going to respond and, and break away, and we'll, we'll resume our intermission and go back to our coffee break. Look at Ephesians 3 with me, 14 to 21. The author says, for this reason, which the reason is basically he's unpacked the mysteries of the gospel with which he was entrusted, that he goes through in Ephesians 1, the mystery of adoption. God's heart before the creation of the world. And then Ephesians 2, the Jew and Gentile are brought together in Christ, that all peoples are united in Christ. And Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Makes me wonder, who are the families in heaven? That, yeah. But we're not going to land on that. I pray that according to the riches of God's glory, he may grant you that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being, continuous tense, rooted and grounded in what? What is the soil in which God insists upon planting us? God's love. 
I pray that you may have the power to comprehend. Now this, it's interesting, as you look here, these English words we have, comprehend here. With all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know, so we have comprehend, know, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Three words for knowledge. Guess what? Three different Greek words. Comprehend is this word that means to grasp, to seize upon, to take hold of. Think about apprehend. Similar idea. That you may apprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. It's almost as if this author is describing a pot. What is the breadth? Well, I guess this way. And length and height and depth of this pot. Now let me ask you this. What is the height of God's love? Where does it end? What is the breadth of God's love? Where does it end? What is the length of God's love? The depth. Did I say one of those twice? It's kind of weird working in four dimensions when we know three. There's no end to those things, is there? So, can I tell you what that means to me? In the same way there's no such thing as a bonsai tree, in God's ultimate plan for us, there is no pot. In God's ultimate dream for us, there is no pot. Now, if there is no constraint upon how wide your roots can go, what does that mean about how much you can grow? There's no end, is there? Jesus is bringing us pot by pot by pot to a place where we will no longer need a pot, where our capacity to love and to be loved will fit what? The fullness of God. You know that that's God's ultimate plan for you? I was thinking about this idea of spiritual growth. You know, have you ever wondered that? How do you measure spiritual growth? As a pastor, people ask you that. You know, what are you doing for discipleship and spiritual formation? It's like, uh, it's kind of hard to measure. What if this was a measurement of spiritual growth? Our capacity to give and receive love. Our capacity to give and receive love. And God says, I'm going to take you from pot to pot to pot, and I'm going to expand your capacity to give and to receive love till there comes a point where you can be filled with the fullness, which guess what? That doesn't exist either. Fullness has an end to it. We're dealing with infinite. There is no such thing as a bonsai tree seed. And there's no such thing, ultimately, as a pot. Now to him, who by the power of work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. How many of you used to read this verse, and some translations say that God is able to do beyond anything you could ever ask or imagine, and you use that in the context of external prayer requests, right? We need a new home. We're having trouble with our landlord. We need finances to come through. We need a new job. We have this thing going on with our child. We have this health situation. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or imagine. But you know what this is in the context of? This is in the context of the inner work that God can do in our hearts, in our character, and in our spirits. God is able 
to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you could ever ask or imagine about yourself. Your view of yourself, and I'm not speaking to you specifically, but I'm just saying in general as humans, our view of ourselves is a bonsai tree. What God wants to do with us would make an oak tree look the size of a bonsai tree. Are you tracking with me? Anybody saying like, yeah, I get it, and your heart's like, whatever. Anything bumping against the pot? That's fine. Last thought. In Psalm 8, remember, it says, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you would care for him. It says, yet you have made him below the angels. And it talks about the authority we were originally given. Now, this is a message for another day, but let me just hint at something. You hear those songs ever that talk about how one day we're going to go back to how it was in Eden? You hear that? There's like this, um, I think it's a Phil Wickham song, you know, take me to, like, make it how it was back then, I want to be in Eden. There's another one that says, like, he walks with me in the garden, this whole idea of God's going to take us back to how it was in the garden. You know what? That is a gross underestimation of what Jesus has in store for us. What Jesus is leading us into makes what was going on in the garden look like a bonsai tree next to a sequoia. Jesus' work on the cross was not restorative in the sense of it's going to take us back there. It takes us back there and so much further beyond. To To the extent, listen to this, so Psalm 8, remember? You've made him one level lower than the angels. You know what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, and he doesn't explain it, and it's one of the most intriguing things. You're like, Paul, why would you do that? He's talking about these people, these Christians that are judging one another, and they're like taking each other to court. He says, why would you do that? Are you crazy? He says, don't you know that you will judge angels? Don't you know that you will judge angels? And then he just moves on. It's like, that's all. Just want to throw that out there. P.S. And he gives it to them as if it's something they were to take for granted. Can I let that mess with your head a little bit? Misery loves company. (laughs) It's messing with mine. What am I getting at? Is it possible that we have totally underestimated what Jesus has in store for us, what he invites us into, and what his ultimate dreams for us are? Let me end with one final verse. I'll just read it to you. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. You can open up to it if you want. And then I want to hear what you have to say, and we'll resume our coffee break. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. How great is the love that the Father has lavished upon us that we might be called children, not servants, not slaves, not even friends, children of God. And that is what we are. Present tense. And it is not yet known what we will be, but on that day when we see Him, see Jesus, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He really is. Jesus is leading you to a day, to a point in history, to a moment where your identity, where your spirit, where your character 
has such a capacity that the fullness of the love of God can flow through it because God can trust you to represent him with all of his authority, power, strength, and glory. That's where Jesus is taking you. That's the ride that we're on as a church. And man, if we could only scratch the surface about what that means, the world wouldn't be the same. Jesus, as we move into a time of, of sharing and responding, oh, by the way, I forgot. I only told you what one of the no's means. <laughs> Comprehend means to apprehend. That you may know the love of Christ. I'll give you a hint. Same word as in, and Adam knew Eve, and they had a baby. We're not talking, are, are, are we? You may know experientially, profoundly, deep in your bones intimately, the love of Christ that surpasses gnosis, knowledge that only sticks in your head. God says, I want you to know deep in your bones with such an intimate understanding, the love of Christ that your brain will be scrambled at trying to grab a hold of it. Jesus, may that be the case for us. Would you scramble our brains with your love and expand our hearts with your love? Would you make room in our spirits, our character, our lives to fit all that you have for us? Because you've called us to be your face to the world, to represent, to reflect your glory to the world. We don't get that, but we want to. And if we could, yikes. So I pray, especially for our friends that feel like they're being repotted right now, for the ones that feel like their roots are exposed, they feel vulnerable, they feel like, what is going on here? What happened to my view of God? What happened to my view of myself? I pray for them that they would know that there's a new pot coming and that what feels like eternity to us isn't that long to you and that you would never uproot us without having something better in store. So may we be rooted and grounded in your love. For your kingdom's sake we pray. Amen. I want to invite a couple people. Is there something that you, as I've been sharing, something that kind of, you know, eh, I feel a little uprooted or... I knew you had something. I could tell by looking at you. Yeah, Sarah. It's going to maybe take me a second to tease this thought out into something that makes sense. But I love what Chris said about the beginning, at the beginning of his talk when he said, do I even venture to say it's the glory of mankind? Because I think for me growing up in um, a very typical Protestant evangelical American church, to say something like that would have been seen as really heretical. Like, we can't say Renaissance spirituality and there were these 
Should be teaching again soon. Don't worry. Once they get their album done, we'll get her back. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, Joseph and Simon. Wow. <laughs> yes, Joseph. <laughs> we need a microphone to pass around that'll grab all these things. Thank you, Joseph. It's your major, right? I don't know why I didn't consult with you more deeply before we... Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Simon, will you share and then we'll, we'll respond. We'll pray. So, kind of like the, the glory of humankind is um, something that's going to sound weird, but hopefully it'll come across, right? Is the, the glory of um, myself and of any human being because, um, you know, I've got 
We're free here. I reflect here. upon how much I've grown, and I'm like, wow, God, you did a really good job. Hmm. Like, Amen. Yeah. yeah. But I love it. It's, it's a very different sign and gearing that God created, that God crafted hmm. over a lifetime that wow. I would have made for myself. I would have made a very different sign and gearing, and it wouldn't be as glorious. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be as good, and then obviously not as much giving to others, because I, I, I've had everything I've ever needed in my life with no real large hardships, and I, I realized that I have to give back, give back, and I want to see other people, um, I have a passion for teaching others and um, young people especially, I have a passion to see others become as glorious as God's made myself. Mm. I want to see everyone be as awesome and glorious as God has made me. And then what's funny is just, just a few months ago, I'm like, okay, God has given me great skills, great education. I'm set. I have everything I need. And it, it, those of you who have talked to me or prayed with me in the last couple months, I've been really struggling with my work a lot. And I've been growing a lot in that and becoming even more. So, so it's almost, oh, God's almost, in a way, greedy to grow me. Like, it, mm -hmm. just what he did already was great, but that wasn't enough. God had to make me even more for, you know, what, whatever he wants to do with that. And it's just exciting to see because I, I want others to be just like me. I want others to grow as much as I have for mm. God to have, to craft every single person around me as much as he has myself. Mm. And I think that it's, it, it's a shared glory because we're all brothers and sisters who bring glory to the same family, the same household, the same church. So yeah. I hope that came across right because it sounds weird when I <laughs> But that's, that's exactly, I love it. That's exactly what Sarah is saying. That, that, that's a beautiful thing you just said. I want to, everybody say this about yourself with me. Say, God, you did a good job on me. You did a good job, good job on me. Look to the person next to you and tell them, God did a good job on me. Did a good job on me and you. Can you, can you say it without blushing? <laughs> Because it's true. God's like, if you could only see you like I see you. If you could only see you like I see you. The world would be a different place. Your world would be a different thing. Betty Fry.
Amen. Hey, when God brought you all together, God did a good job. As a church, God's doing a good job on us. Let me ask you all, is there anybody right now that you feel like you're in that process? Your, your old pot's been taken away, you haven't totally settled into the new one, and you would like prayer because it feels exposed, it feels vulnerable, it feels a little unsettling. Is there anybody that, let's just say this, I'm going to release you all to get, well, let's, let's have, if you have kids in, in kids' class, then I'll let you go get your kiddos. Let's try to keep the kids, yeah, I know, I know what I'm saying is impossible, but let's make an effort to keep the kids, I'm speaking to my wife right now, let's try to keep the kids towards this side of the room, and I want to invite you to go back, and we'll, we have about 10 more minutes or so before we need to pack up, where we can um, enjoy some more coffee and snacks and stuff like that, but if you would like prayer, and I would really like to invite those of you that shared. I'm not going to put you on the spot, but if those of you that shared, I feel like there's something that you kind of have to contribute in particular to this ministry time. So I want to invite any of you that would like prayer to come to this side of the room and connect with some people. So if you're willing to pray or you need prayer, can you make your way to this side? And we'll go from there. How's that sound? Wonderful? Wonderful. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your morning. Have a lovely Memorial Day weekend. And come get some prayer and some snacks.